0: As you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Dustin. Today's reading comes from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. if I turn that on. I'll try that again. Good Good morning. It's good to be with you here. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know. Well, in 1863, our country was in the midst of civil war, and the deadliest battle fought on American soil was fought at Gettysburg. November of that year, President Lincoln stood before that field and issued his famous Gettysburg Address. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place to those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. See, President Lincoln recognized something that was happening. He recognized that there was division that had crept in, division over some pretty big issues. And he wanted to bring people together for people to acknowledge that we are all created equal, that we all have value. And because of that, we need to come together as one. He recognized that division has the ability to destroy that foundation. As a matter of fact, years before the Gettysburg Address, Lincoln had said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Division has the ability to destroy any community that it comes in contact with whether that be a nation or a family, a church, or even a team. As a matter of fact, many years later, a football team would travel to Gettysburg to remember the battle that had been fought there, to remember the need to be united. The team was the T.C. Williams High School Titans, led by Coach Herman Boone. This was the first integrated school in Virginia. They had taken the all-white school and the all-black school, and they had brought them together as one. And so the football team came together as one as well. But you can imagine that there was the temptation to divide. The temptation for division was right there in front of them. And so Coach Boone took them to Gettysburg, and in the movie, Remember the Titans, it focuses on this team and specifically shows this moment. And so in this moment, Coach Herman Boone, played by Denzel Washington, leads the team to Gettysburg and stands before the field and says this. He says, this is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we are still fighting among ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys. Smoke and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, men. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen and you take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. Those words have great power in my life and maybe for you as well. It should resonate with us as a church to look and to say that if we allow division to creep in, if we can't come together, if we can't stay together, if we don't pursue unity, we too will be destroyed. So many churches have fallen apart because they allow divisive people and divisive ideas and divisive opinions to creep in and division begins to take its place in the church. And division will slowly rip apart any community that it gets in contact with. This is why God clearly communicates his feeling on divisiveness and division. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, it tells us there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Now, if there's something that God hates, it's a good idea to pay attention and make sure that these things stay far away from us. And so here's what it says. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now we can go through the list, and as a church, we probably find it pretty easy to avoid some of these things. I mean, we can look and say, yeah, lying, bad, got that, murder, yep, definitely bad. I'm going to avoid that one. Evil, it's in the name, so we'll stay far away from that. But we get to the seventh part where it says a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I like the way the ESV words this. It says someone who sows discord among brothers. And I like it because it speaks to the idea that we are a family, that we are the family of God brought together by God himself to give glory to God, to worship him, to come together and to be his hands and feet. And so someone who comes into the community to stir up discord, to stir up conflict, Who wants to be divisive and create division, God says, I hate it when people do that. Don't be the person who comes in and tries to divide, but be the person who comes in and tries to unite. So if we're going to take this seriously and we're going to take this idea of division seriously, how can we avoid what, what may divide the church? Well, let's focus on a few of these things that could divide the church. And there's a huge amount of things that could divide the church. But I wanna look at some of the underlying issues maybe that cause division. So number one is this, things that could divide the church. First one is gossip. Gossip divides so quickly. Anyone in here ever been hurt by gossip before? Anyone in here ever gossiped before? Okay, now I know all your sin, so I'm gonna use that against you later. No, gossip is so easy to participate in. And honestly, there's a lot of times where I like, I like to think of myself as someone who's perfect. And so, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, but the reality is that I recognize there's so many places of sin in my life that I'm just not aware of. And one of those places that I'm becoming more and more aware of and, and trying to figure out how do I deal with this is gossip. Because here's the thing. I, like many other Christians, have this way of of doing Christian gossip, right? Like we come in the name of Jesus and we're like, hey, listen, did you hear what's going on with our brother over here? Let me tell you all the messiness of his life right now so that we can pray for him. And so we're like, we just want to pray for them. So we'll just share all the details of this secret with each other. We're like, hey, it's truthful, and so the truth should always be proclaimed, so let's tell the truth about everyone's deepest, darkest sin. Or we do this in a way of saying, oh, I just care for this person, and so tell me all the things that are going on, tell me all the the wrong things that they've done so that I can care for them or care for you. And typically what gossip really is, is gossip is a partial truth, more often than not. It's one person's story that we want to share. And even when it's truthful, gossip by definition is truth that is not ours to share. And so we have to be careful about the way we do this as Christians, thinking maybe deep in our hearts, we've convinced ourselves that this is a good thing, this is beneficial, but realizing that we just want information and we just wanna share the story because we wanna be important and in the know. And what happens so often with gossip is it's, it's a means of division. I wanna share my story about that person so that you don't like that person, so that you stay away from them because I'm not happy with them. So I'm gonna gossip about them and share my story. And so we need to avoid gossip. The second thing that we need to avoid is pride. Pride is all about me. And if it's all about me, it can't be about you. That creates problems in community. Because now if you do something that offends me, if you do something that makes me less comfortable, if you do something that I don't like, if you take away my favorite thing, well, I'm the most important person in the world. So that means that you have just done what is wrong. And so then I'm going to battle with you or becoming defensive against you, and that creates conflict in the community. So we've got to pay attention to the areas of our life where we let pride get a hold of us. Another one is quick emotional responses. Emotions themselves are not bad, but there's a reason why scripture tells us that we need to be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because so often we respond out of our anger or our sorrow or even our joy, and we allow our emotions to lead us into maybe a sinful state, into a divisive state. And so the way this plays itself out so often is that someone does something to me or I hear about something, maybe a piece of gossip. And I jump on in our modern day, typically I get behind my keyboard and I type up a really nice angry email and I hit send right away. And then the next morning I wake up and go, oh no, what did I do? So we need to be careful about our emotional responses to situations. Spend time in prayer, pause and sleep on it. Don't avoid the conflict, but be slow to anger. Which leads me to the fourth one, which is unchecked anger. This is maybe we don't deal with our anger, we allow it to sit and yeah, we can still respond a week later, a month later, a year later. But what happens is sometimes we allow anger and bitterness to dictate our decisions and the way we act towards people. And so if we let bitterness win the day, if we let anger win the day, that creates division. Because it puts me against you. You against your brother, you against your sister. And so we allow anger to stay in our hearts and don't deal with the anger and the bitterness and the resentment. If we're not pursuing reconciliation, we're not pursuing forgiveness, then we're missing out on what God has in store for us. And so then the final one is an attitude of unrepentance. There might come a time where you have created some division, where you've created some conflict with someone else, and suddenly you realize that you made a mistake. And when you come to that realization, the question is, are you going to go and repent and seek reconciliation? Or are you like, listen, my feet are planted firmly in the ground and I can't go back now. I can't turn around and so I'm just going to stay away from that person for the rest of my life and never talk to them again. Another way an attitude of unrepentance reveals itself is when we are always focused on what other people have done rather than focusing on our part of the conflict. Listen, maybe the other person is 99% in the wrong. But if there's even 1% that was you, we need to deal with that 1%. We need to acknowledge our part in the conflict. And so if we're not willing to acknowledge our part, again, it's going to create division. And normally that stems from pride or hearing gospel or something else that's even further up the list. So these are just a few of the things that could possibly creep in and divide the church. And there are countless more that we could go through. We need to be aware of some of these dangers and stay away from these things because God hates those who come into the community and try and divide. And so let's not be those people. But instead, let's be a people that pursue unity because God loves unity. Actually, I want you to think for just a moment, if you could pray any prayer for our church right now, and it would be answered, what do you think would be the most beneficial prayer that you could pray? What would you pray for knowing that God is going to say yes? What would you pray for for our church? Maybe as Mike talked about the budget earlier, maybe the simple answer is more money. Listen, we can say we're in a good financial place, but there's always more that we could do if we had more money. We can do new things to our building. We can do new ministry. We can hire new people. We can do all these great, amazing things with more money. So that seems like a a worthy thing to pray for. May we pray for new buildings. If if our students are being asked this question in in student ministry, they're probably praying praying for a new building because if you've ever been in that tent on a windy, rainy day, it's a scary place to be. We could pray for new buildings. We could pray for more people. Pray that we could hire more people. I mean, just get more and more talent as a part of our church. We could pray for more knowledge. We could pray that we all know the Bible cover to cover. Better theological understanding. But do you know that we have a recorded prayer of Jesus praying for the church? And all the common things that we think to pray for is not what Jesus' heart was about. In John chapter 17, verse 20, it says this. Jesus has been praying for his disciples and then he says these words. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so here Jesus is revealing that he's praying for you. He's praying for me. If you are in this room or you're watching online and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus 2,000 years ago was praying for you. Like 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying for Christ Community Church. Yes, he's praying for the global church, but he's also praying for Christ Community Church and for us as a part of that church. How incredible is that? And this is what he prayed for us. In verse 21, he prayed that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. may they also be in us, so that the world may, may, so the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus doesn't pray for more money, doesn't pray for more talent, doesn't pray for more knowledge, doesn't pray for funnier people. He prays for unity. He prays that we would be united. Now, what does this mean? This doesn't mean that we're all just gonna hold hands every week and sing Kumbaya and ignore our differences and never have any conflict. We're never gonna have any arguments. We're just gonna refuse to argue about things. We'll refuse to talk about anything so that we all agree on everything. No, that's not what's gonna happen. But this is about realizing that we are a group of messy, broken, sinful individuals who are coming together and pursuing Christ. And so there's going to be times where there's conflict. There's going to be times where there are issues. There's going to be times where we disagree on things. And in those moments, we pursue unity. We press into relationship. We seek reconciliation. We learn to forgive. We learn to love. And the kind of unity that Jesus is praying for is not superficial at all. And it's not easy to get to. He's praying for a supernatural unity. He prays that that, that you and I would be united as the Father and the Son are united. So if you're not aware of this, there is one God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is what we call the Trinity. But we worship one God in three persons. And so you might be thinking, well, I I don't understand that. That's okay. Okay. It's okay because the reality is that God is, there are parts of God that are just incomprehensible because God is different than you and I. And that's probably a good thing, amen? Amen. Like I don't want God to be exactly like me. We'd be all sorts of messed up. So I'm glad that there are parts of God that are different, That there are parts of God that are challenging for me to understand because it means that he is God and I'm not. And so that's okay. And the reality is the more we try and explain the Trinity, the closer and closer we get to heresy. So we just need to recognize that we have one God and three persons. And that doesn't mean that they all are, That's one God who just sometimes is the Father, sometimes is the Son, sometimes is the Holy Spirit. No, it's one God, three persons, three distinct persons, and yet one God. And this is what Jesus is praying that we would be. Distinct individuals who are part of the church, and yet we are one. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, it actually says that we are supposed to be the body of Christ. One body with many pieces, And it gives us some caution in verse 21 about how we interact with one another. In verse 21, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. He goes on to say basically that the parts that we sometimes think of as less get special honor and special treatment. And then down in verse 25, it says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so the call in Corinthians, there's there's a command there. The command says that I cannot say to any of you, I don't need you. That you as a member of the body of Christ cannot look at any other member of the body and say, I don't need you. And so there's all sorts of reasons we might want to say that. I'm going to say, oh no, I'm, I'm gifted and talented enough on my own, so I don't need the rest of you. Or, or you just think differently than I do, so I don't need you in my life. There's so many times where we want to do this as individuals, and the Bible says, no, you can't do that. You need one another. You can't look at a member of the body and say, I don't need you. We need to pursue unity. And so if we go back to John 17... Jesus' prayer actually helps guide us in understanding how we live this out. He says in verse twenty-two, "I have given them, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me." This is a few things I want us to understand about unity. The first is this, is that unity is a gift from God. Unity is a gift from God. Right there in the passage, Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you have given to me. So the opportunity for unity to be the church that we are called to be is a gift from God. That means it's not something that we look down upon. It's not something that we run away from. It's something that should be treasured, valued, protected, and pursued. Unity is a gift from God. The fact that we can be one body, that we can come together as a church from all different backgrounds, different genders, different races, different history, different experiences, all these cultural barriers that look to divide, we come together as the church and we can be one, that's a miracle from God. That's a gift from God. And so we should treasure it, pursue it, value it. But here's the thing. Unity with the church is only possible if we are united with Christ. Unity with the church is only possible if we are united with Christ. If we are not connected to him, all of this falls apart. In John 17, Jesus said, it is I and them and you and me. But back up two chapters to John 15. And listen to what Jesus has to say. Starting in verse 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches... and you wanna produce fruit, if you wanna be a kingdom builder, which I hope we all wanna be kingdom builders, and so we wanna demonstrate the fruit of the gospel, we need to stay connected to the vine. We need to stay connected to Christ. That Jesus is the vine, he is the source of life, and if we are connected to him, we have life, and we might bear fruit, bear much fruit even. But if we disconnect ourselves from Christ, everything we do is meaningless. We become a branch that is dying, that is left for no other purpose than to be picked up and to thrown in the fire. We don't want to be that branch. We want to be the branch that produces fruit. And so, in order to do that, we need to stay connected with Christ. We need to stay united with Him. Because the reality is that if we're trying to pursue unity together, that, that can be a challenging thing because we have all these differences, all these things that creep in and make us want to divide. But if we are all together pursuing Christ and keeping our eyes focused on him, then as we're pursuing Christ, we're coming closer and closer together. The work of bringing us to unity will be the Holy Spirit doing a work in our hearts and our lives. But we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and stay united with him. And so Jesus calls us to unity. And at the very end of that little section in verse 8, he said, This is what you will do, and this is how you'll show yourselves to be my disciples. We'll go back to John 17, verse 23. Jesus said this He said, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so as Jesus is praying, he's praying for us to have unity and he's saying, Father, if if they come and they are united together, that's how the world's gonna know who I am. That's how the world is gonna know that they're my church. That's how the world is gonna hear my message and see my message and feel my message and receive the gospel. And so unity is how we show the world who Jesus is. Unity is how we show the world who Jesus is. Now, we spent the last six weeks talking about evangelism, about sharing our faith through the book of Jonah. And what we said two weeks ago is still true, that at some point we're going to need to use our words to share the gospel with people, to tell people about Jesus. But if we are being invitational and we invite people into the church, we invite people into relationship with Christ, and then they come into the church and they gather here with us and they see a place that is divided, they see a place that's just constantly fighting and there's only thinking of themselves, then it's gonna do more harm than good. But if we are living out of a place of unity, out of a place of love, then we are already showing people who we belong to. And then the message is not trying to convince people that we belong to Christ, but people are coming and asking, saying, who do you belong to? How are you living the way that you're living? How are you doing the things that you're doing? I want a part of that and we simply get to invite them into what we already have. In John chapter 13, Jesus says it this way. In verse 34, it says, New command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Growing up in church, he used to sing a song, said, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And this is what Jesus is saying in John 13. It's not they will know we are Christians by our brilliant theological minds. It's not they will know we are Christians by how good our music is. It's not they will know we are Christians by how big our buildings are. It's not they will know we are Christians by how great our children's ministry is. They will know we are Christians by our love. This is how we demonstrate that we are disciples of Christ. Our love for one another, our unity together as the church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, is how we show the world who Jesus is. And so if we can agree that unity matters to God, then the question becomes, how do we do this? How do we actually live this out? Well, I'll give you three things that we can do. Number one is this, spend more time with Jesus. If we're going to be united together, we need to be united to Christ. If we're going to be united together, we need to be united to the vine. This kind of unity that we're talking about is only possible through Christ. Just look outside the walls, look outside at the world, and you will see that there is a culture and a world that wants to divide in every possible way. Unity is hard, but through the strength of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, it is possible. So we need to be united to Christ. If you're thinking, well, I, listen, I would love to spend more time with Jesus, but I don't really know how to do that. I come to church, um, but, you know, we only gather once a week. So, so how do I stay connected to the vine? I would encourage you to go to our Laugh Track 201 course, which deals with spiritual disciplines. It deals with spiritual disciplines and, and helps us to pursue God through things like spending quiet time with God, through prayer through quiet time, through fellowship, through serving, through giving. And if you don't have time to make it to Laugh Track 201, that's okay. Spend time in scripture. Spend time in prayer. If you've never spent time in prayer before, it might feel a little bit awkward and uncomfortable. But so does the start of every relationship. You ever been on a first date before and you try and have a conversation with someone and you're like, this is weird. That might be how you feel in prayer the first time. But over time, you'll get more and more comfortable in spending time just talking with Jesus, spending time with him. And so spend more time with Jesus. Second thing is this, is pray for unity and pray for every member of the church. Jesus prayed for unity, so we probably should pray for unity as well, right? So you can still pray for all those other things. You can pray for more money and bigger buildings and cooler people, I don't know, whatever you pray for. But also spend time praying for unity because Jesus demonstrated that prayer for us. But then the other piece is pray for every member of the church. Now, I'm not asking you to pray literally for every member of Christ Community Church because that's a lot of people. I mean, if you can get the names of every person and you want to pray for every person, praise God, go ahead and do that. What I am saying is there's no one in this room, no one who's watching online, no one who's a part of our other services that you should not spend time praying for. And so if you're having conflict with someone in the church, pray for them. Now, don't just pray that they would change their mind and start doing the things that you want them to do. But instead, pray God's blessing on them. Pray God's goodness would cover them. That they would experience his love and his mercy and his grace. We should be praying that for our enemies. We should certainly be praying that for our brothers and sisters here in the church. Because the more we spend time praying God's heart for people, the more our hearts will start to reflect God's heart for people. And so pray for every member of this church, pray for unity. And the final thing is this, be committed to the church. Be committed to the church. Now, more and more, I think we have a culture that puts the church as a low value in our lives. And so often the church is something that we do or participate in if we have enough time because everything else is off the calendar. The church is something we'll give towards as long as we have money left over after spending it on every other thing that we've done. Now listen, I'm, I'm feeling the weight of this because for so long I've talked about commitment to the church and, and, and starting to experience this in a new way. I grew up going to church all the time. I was at every Bible study and everything and you know, did a lot of sports, did a lot of activities, but church was always something that was a high priority. Now as a dad, I have kids who are pursuing some of these things and all of a sudden I'm realizing, I don't know how my parents did this. This is challenging. It's challenging to do all these things that have these really high commitment levels and and still be a part of what's happening in the church or put the church first. Because soccer demands my kids' time, demands their money, demands their attention. School demands their time, demands their money, demands their attention. You get clubs and activities that demand their attention, demand time, demand money. And then you come to church And it's like, well, hey, as long as you're feeling up to it, we hope you're here. We hope you'll come to this event. We hope you'll come to camp. We hope you'll tithe. We hope you'll give. You know, if you're you're feeling led by God, then please do those things. But there's a low commitment level. And so we step into church and we just treat it like something that just comes and goes, that just passes, that we don't really need to be a part of if we're not feeling it. Or something else takes our time or something else takes our money. But what if the church was your highest priority? What if your brothers and sisters in Christ were your first community? What if we really lived the life that God has called us to live? Well, so I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Our Laugh Track 101 course is our membership course. It's happening later today as well. And so often people will come and, and they'll say, you know, well, why should I become a member? What's, what's the benefits for me? You know, I come to church and, and, and I already do all the things that a member would do anyway. So, so what's the benefits? And, and, and I'll be honest, there's not a whole lot. I mean, you get to vote on some things, which is cool, I guess, at times. But the reason to become a member of the church is that you stand up before your brothers and sisters in Christ and you say, I am committed to you. And you're saying, I want you to hold me accountable. It's not about what we, what we get in the, the common sense of thinking about the things that we want and the things we desire. But it's about saying I'm connected to Christ and Christ has called me to be connected to a local body of believers. And so I'm committing my time, my treasure and my talent to say I am a part of this thing and I'm all in. I'm no longer gonna say that I don't need any of you because I recognize my need for you. And in my recognition of my need for the church and my need for community and my need for unity, I'm standing up and saying, yes, I'm willing to submit myself, to be accountable, to put this first, to make this a priority. That's what it's about. And we do this with so many other things in life, but when it comes to the church, it's like, eh, I don't want to have that commitment level. That's a little too much. I got other things going on. If we can't be committed to one another, committed to this gathering of believers, then we're allowing ourselves to be open for attacks that lead to division. But if we are committed, our time, our treasure, our talent, not just to a building or a location, but to the body of Christ that's gathered here together, well then even when we have conflict, we pursue unity. We fight to work things out because I'm committed. I'm here, I'm a part of this and I need you. So I'm committed to making this work. And so I think of those words that were in the movie, remember the Titans, that if we don't come together, if we don't stay together, if we don't pursue unity over and over and over again, we too will be destroyed just like so many who have come before. Let's be the united church that shows the world who Jesus Christ is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, for your guidance, for your love for us. God, I thank you that we can be united with you through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your sacrifice that makes relationship with you possible. Help us to be a people who are constantly pursuing you and putting you first. God, I also thank you that you allow us to be united to one another, that you've given us this family of brothers and sisters who pursue you together. God, let division not creep into our church, but let us be united in the way you've called us to be and the way you prayed for us to be so many years ago. God, when things like gossip and pride and our own emotions get in the way. Help us to overcome those obstacles and continue to pursue unity. God, we know that we won't do this perfectly. We know we'll make mistakes. We know there'll be times where we'll be divisive, where we stir up conflict. Forgive us for those moments. Redeem us from those moments. And God, help us to find a way to fight through that, to continue to be united in the way you've called us to be. And God, through our unity and through our love, would the world see you and know who you are and come to a faith in you as well. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. We love you and praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.